0: If you get your Bibles with you, can you flip over to Matthew chapter fourteen? Can you hear me alright? I, I want to talk to you today about becoming water walking disciples. Water walking disciples. So you got Matthew fourteen? Say yes, hallelujah, I've got it. Because I haven't. Verse 22. <laughs> immediately. Say immediately. immediately. Jesus is into immediately. Do you know that? Yeah. When he talks about faith in Hebrews, he says now. Mm-hmm. Now is immediately, isn't it? Yeah. We're not talking about it today, so that's all right. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go over to the side. He's just fed the 5,000. He's just done this amazing miracle. 5,000 men plus women and children have all been fed from, you know, a couple of whales and a few bakeries. No, there's a couple of sardines and a couple of loaves of bread. So they go before him to the other side where he sent the multitudes away. Verse 23. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray now when evening came, he was alone there. Who knows how important it is to get away by yourself and hang with Jesus. To get in the Father's presence. You know, with the move of what God's doing now, we have to learn to stop doing the shoulds. You've got to let go of the shoulds. I should do this, I should do that. You know, in leadership management training, we sat down and worked out all the things that they said great leaders should do. Do you know they took 27 hours a day to do them? And that didn't include sleeping. All the things they said, great leaders do this, 27 hours a day, and that didn't include the sleeping. All you should do is whatever jesus tells you to do everything else is just doo-doo all right we don't doo-doo it's already done so get out of the doo-doo that you should do and hang with jesus you know we're told your house should look like this you should look like this your children should be like this in your work, you should be this, you should be that. You should be getting forward, you should be advancing. And we've got sucked in to the world's Babylonian system. You know what you should do? You should hang with Jesus. When you up in the morning, the first thing you should do, hang with Jesus. And if you don't have time to hang with Jesus, then you've got your priorities wrong. You know, if your boss told you you've got to start an hour earlier, would you start an hour earlier? What would you do? You'd get up an hour earlier, wouldn't you? You'd get your life going an hour earlier. But Do we do that for Jesus? Because that's all that's important. When you hang with him, when you get out of the shoulds and into just being in him, just being in him, it's not even, it's not even praying. It's just being with him. You know, Jesus had servants. What he wants is sons and daughters. We're so used to do, do, do like servants. But he wants sons and daughters to be with him. And when you be with him, everything else flows out of that. So what Jesus did was he hung with the father. You can hang with the father too because the father wants buddies. You can be Jesus' buddy. But that's not today's sermon. You get that one for free. (laughs) I was watching this guy going around today hitting people with his Bible. The paragon was just going all over them. It was really cool. Verse 24, but the boat was in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them swimming. No, rowing his boat. No, he had his sail going. What was he doing? Walking. Walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, it's a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately, how long did it take? You know, if you're listening for God, He talks immediately. When you're in fear, God's speaking. When the world is against you and things look like they're piling up and you've got nowhere to go, God's still speaking. The question is are you listening? Or are you too busy yelling? You're too busy being busy? You're too busy telling God what He should do? And you know what? I find most of the church is wrong because we're telling God what we want him to do. Most Christians end up in the wrong place. I got a revelation to shower this morning I'm going to talk to Dale about later. But God showed me a point. I got to apologize to my wife and my family. God showed me a point about 15, 18 years ago where I missed what he was doing. And it's actually affected the last 18 years. And I'm sitting there going... Man, I missed it because I was telling God what I wanted him to do. Rather than me doing, by abiding in him, waiting on him. Because you see, he said do something. He said go this way and I went this way. And he was telling me then after I'd gone that way to take a turn. And like a crash, the port's having the effect. And I missed a turn that God had. That would have made a difference in the last 18 years. I missed a blessing God had for us. Because I was busy telling God, because he said, go this way, and so I assumed it meant something. And then I'm telling him. You know what a shoe means, don't you? You break it up, making an ass out of you and me. Except we don't make an ass out of God, just makes an ass out of us. But God can use asses, can't he? He even uses them to talk. So here I am. <laughs> All right? But just because God tells you to go away, too often, and this is, this is where we go, you know, we, we hang out with God, God gives us a revelation and we start running. And we run ahead of God and we assume that this is what God is doing. And so then we start speaking into it and saying, this is what is God, rather than constantly abiding in him and listening for him to change direction. And so we assume, and we start telling him, and we miss the blessings. You know, God spoke to me about our finances, and he says, he says most, of the, most of the church, most Christians don't walk in wealth just because they won't stop and listen to what I'm telling them to do. God has a plan for you to be wealthy. I'm not preaching about this today either, but hey, this is for free. God has a plan for you. But the problem is that we don't stop long enough to listen because we're too busy doing what we think we should do. Stop doing what you should do. It's really blissful and peaceful. I've stepped out of the turmoil and the toil and the stuff. I just find it depressing what the world has to offer? Because it doesn't go anywhere. But when you step into what God has and you take out the should, you know what? You're allowed to sleep in. Does anyone ever tell you that? Sleep in. Have a good rest. Absolutely. Unless God's getting you out of bed, you're allowed to sleep in. Is that messy with theology? You know, oh, a little slumber, a little sleep. And poverty comes on you like a curse. We should be like the ant who runs around. We've taken these verses out of context. You know what Jesus said? Rest in me. I'm not saying sleep when you should be doing something like, you know, you've got a job to go to. <laughs> your kids are destroying the house. It is time to get up. But what I'm saying is, learn how to rest when you sleep. Oh, I should get up and mow the lawn. Don't worry about it. Have you seen my lawn? Take the should out of your life. And learn to abide. This is, the, this is the catch. When you take the should out and you take the toil out, you still have to abide. Because in the abiding you get the real rest, otherwise you're just going to get stress. You're going to be laying there thinking, churning, processing, churning. Abide. All right. And God will speak to you. He'll speak to you in your fear, in your turmoil, in the difficult situation he's speaking. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, be of good cheer. It is I, don't be afraid. Think about it. They're in the middle of a storm. They think the guy's a ghost and he says, be of good cheer. Be happy. The storm's still going. And Peter answered and said to him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. Now Jesus hasn't really got a choice here, has he? Because he says, if it's you, then command me. So Jesus said, well, it's me, so I guess I command you. But what Jesus is actually doing is responding to Peter's faith. Peter sees an opportunity to go to Jesus. He's in the boat, and he sees Jesus over there. And he doesn't like the fact that Jesus is over here, there, and he's over here. And he sees a chance to step out in faith. You know, we criticise people and go, oh, he thinks before he speaks and, you know, here he is doing it again and saying, no, no, no. Here's a guy. You've got 12 guys in the boat. Now, in a storm, a boat's a good place to be. No problem with that. But they're in the boat. And 11 can go, you know what? We're okay in the boat. We've got, we got Jesus. He's over there, but it's okay. He's around. He'll take care of this. But Peter's not happy to be stuck in the boat with the 11 other guys, he wants to be with Jesus. And he's prepared to do what it takes to walk with Jesus. And so he gets out of the boat. And he walks on the water. And Thomas is sitting back there going, I doubt he's going to make it. (laughs) Judas is calculating the insurance premiums and, you know, what's going to go wrong. but Peter's walking on the water because he would rather step out and be with Jesus than be safe and comfortable in what he knows. He's a fisherman, remember. He knows the boat. So Jesus said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when Peter saw the wind was boisterous, he was afraid, and beginning to think, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. And immediately, how long say Jesus to save us? Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said, Oh, you little faith, why did you doubt? Peter got to Jesus. How do I know that? Because Jesus had to stretch out his hand and grab him. He walked from the boat to Jesus. And when he got to Jesus, he didn't know what to do. So then he looked around. Here's a tip for you. When you get to Jesus, keep looking at him. And when they got in the boat, the wind ceased, and those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. God's doing a new thing with us. He's doing a new thing on the earth. And it's a little freaky. It's a rough ride. There's storms involved. It's not even necessarily popular. No one really likes a storm, especially if you're on a boat in the middle of the water. No sailor goes, yeah, bring me the storm. But the thing is that what we're in at the moment is a chance to move out of what you know and to step closer to Jesus. He's telling us to boldly approach the throne of grace. To bring our petitions and requests to the throne, to praise and worship Him at the throne. See, when Jesus died on the cross, the temple that was the, the veil that was in the temple, the curtain was torn in two. And what that symbolized was, you see, that curtain separated people from God, and it says you have to go through a priest. You have to come, and the priest will do the work for you. But when Jesus died, that curtain was torn. Saying, hey, anybody can come to Jesus. Anybody can meet with the Father. And we've gone, that's fantastic. And through the age of the church over the last 2,000 years, we've enjoyed that. But now God's doing something new. He's actually ending the church of the age and bringing in the the age of the kingdom. And the kingdom is different to what the church is. The church still exists. But we're moving out of the church, age of the church, into an age of the kingdom of God. Where we are... Seated with him in heavenly places. That means you literally step into heaven to sit with him, where well, we can boldly approach his throne of grace. If you want references for this, there's Hebrews four sixteen, Ephesians two verse six. You see, we're actually not supposed to battle. Here on earth. We're actually supposed to battle in the heavenlies. Because our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. But the problem is that for the last couple of thousand years, we've been battling here on earth. We've been using natural means. When something goes wrong in the church, we have a committee meeting. And we discuss it. And we talk it through. We might throw a prayer in the start and then we talk it through and then we throw a prayer in the end and we see how we can solve it. We get upset with the government when they change things and and so we petition the government and we get involved in politics. And these things aren't bad, but they're not God's best. Because God's doing a new thing where he is calling us to step into the heavenlies to govern. You see, the word church is actually an incorrect translation for who we are. And actually, if you go through the only two times where the word is used in the original translation, it actually talks about pagan temples. It's a little confronting, isn't it? when you go through the Greek. The word is ecclesia when they talk about us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ecclesia actually means assembly. Yeah. Church means building. Literally, it means building. Mm-hmm. And it was referred. The only two times that actually that word is used, because it actually comes from the Irish, the way we translate it. Mm-hmm. And it's a part of the pagan system. The word we're supposed to be is an assembly, an assembly who govern. Now, I grew up in the Brethos, and they call themselves the Bretho Assembly, so, you know, had it right when I was first born. <laughs> Absolutely, I was in the Brethren Assembly. They didn't have much to do with me, but, you know. <laughs> but it's actually, when I think back to how the Brethren Church did things, they had something. You know, they would meet around the bit in this big square and in the middle would be the communion table. And over the next few weeks, you really discover more and more about the power of communion. But the way they do the services, if you go back to the original, was they would wait on the Holy Spirit. And, And the Holy Spirit would lead some people to bring a song to bring prayer, to bring a word, to bring a teaching. They would wait on God. There was no pastors. There were no positions. God was the head of his church. Jesus, the head of his church. And, you know, it actually teaches us and I'll flick through and find the reference because I keep forgetting what it is. I'll find it later because I'm skipping all over my notes here. But oh, Here we go. First John 2 verse 27 actually says that you have no need of somebody to teach you because the Holy Spirit will teach you. And in the church age, we have this whole thing where we put people into positions and we give them authority, and we've got lazy. The church has got lazy. We rock into church and we say, feed me, teach me, inspire me, entertain me. Let church be fun. Give it all to me on a nice big dinner plate. I want my roast dinner. I'm going to eat it and walk out and be fat. And I may not touch my Bible all week. I'll throw the occasional prayer up while I'm going through my day. And I'll come and meet Jesus again on Sunday through you. That's what we've done with church. We've made it an institution. We've made it into a system that is convenient and easy. So you can actually do church without God. And they do. But it was never meant to be that. We were meant to come together and just wait on God. And the musicians start playing and you just start singing what God has laid on your heart. Like we did today. We're not meant to be publishing songbooks and hymnals. They're good. But see, they were given to a people in their place and in their time. And the song that God is giving to us here in this place is different to what they're giving Hillsong in Sydney or Bethel in America or John Wesley and some of the great, as we call them, hymn writers of the past. They sang the songs and they sing the songs that God has given them for where they are. But that's not the song that God is giving for us here. Because we have a sound, as Dale talked about before. We have a sound that changes the atmosphere and the governance in this place. You see, we are called to govern this state. We are called to govern this city. That's why we're the assembly here. And when Paul wrote to the church, he wrote to the church in Ephesus. He wrote to the church in Philippi. And he wrote to them about what they were governing over in their area. But we're singing songs from Sydney. We're singing the songs for California. We're singing the songs for Wales and for England. I'm wondering why we don't see breakthrough. Because God has a word and a song for here. And when we come together, we're supposed to sing that song for here. We're supposed to hear the word for here. Because God has put you and I here for a purpose. And we're supposed to govern. So we're going to change our churches and be an assembly. If it wasn't so complex, I'd change our name. <coughs> to Jesus Central Assembly. Maybe we just lose the church off the end altogether. We'll see. We'll get there. But what we want to be is a place of governance. So when we come together, if you're looking for formal songs, you're in the wrong place. Look, I'm not, I'm not having a go at church as it is because God commissioned an age where church has been what it has been. And we've seen the superstars in church, and they're like Paul, where Paul said, imitate me that you may see Jesus. And that is why God has raised up what we call the superstars of the church, the people who stand up and we identify them. And God has used them because they are being like Paul and saying, imitate me and you'll discover Jesus. But now we have to move on from imitating each other to being like Jesus and getting away with the Father. And having the Holy Spirit teach you. The time will come when I won't be standing here with a microphone teaching you. Because we'll just be sitting in the presence of God. And the Holy Spirit will teach you. And he will speak to you exactly what you need to know. What will do for a job? I'll enjoy life. Because there's no shoulds. We'll stand here and we'll make sounds together and we'll sound strange and stupid to the world, but it'll shake the foundations of this city and of this state and of this nation. And we will do business in the heavenlies. And I'm letting you know this because you have a choice to make. If you like church and being in church, then this is probably not the place to be. If you like to rock up and have a guy preach and sing songs that you know, and, and, uh, hear me, that's not bad. It's still valid. The church will still exist. The church will still be people saved. It will still make an impact. God will still use them. But if you like that, it's okay. When the disciples stayed in the boat at the 11, that was okay. Jesus didn't condemn them for being in the boat. He told them off for being fearful. But he didn't condemn them for staying in the boat. It's okay to stay in the boat. It's okay to stay with what you know around you and what is familiar. That's okay. If that's what you want, then stay with it. Jesus still is there for you. What I'm saying is, we're getting out of the boat. If you rock in here, you've got to be prepared to step out of the boat. Because it will shake your theology. I have taken all of my theology. I have taken all of my leadership and management stuff. I've taken all my doctrine and I've stuck it on the back lawn. And now I'm going, okay, God, what do I take back? And what I'm taking back is not what I thought I'd be taking back. It's challenging. It's difficult. It's hard not to look at the storm. It pushes my buttons, it's uncomfortable. But I would rather be with what Jesus is doing now than anywhere else. You know, when when the, the charismatic revival started, people murmured and blah 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 that's terrible. And the conservative church still exists and they still get people saved and they still make a difference. And then Pentecostalism moved through. Actually the other way around, but either way. And people went, oh, this is terrible. Oh, what's happened to the church? What's going on? And some people embraced it and some didn't. But you know what? God still used both. And still does today. You know, then they started talking about healings <gasps> and things about money in church. <gasps> And some of the church went, You can't do that! And God still used them. And some embraced what God was doing. And guess what? God used them too. It's the same here. I honestly say to you if you feel like you can't walk the journey, God will still use you. I'm giving you the freedom if you're afraid of where we're going, if you think that's too much for me, I'm not sure about this, I don't like this, I don't want to go there, I'm giving you the freedom to go because it's not about me. I would rather you were in church than you were here and you got offended and stepped out. Hear my heart. Love you all. But I want you to walk your journey with God. Because where we're going is not comfortable. Heck, I don't even know if we're gonna have Sunday services. I don't know what it looks like. All I know is that every Sunday morning for the next month probably, there's about as far as we've got. Maybe maybe next week. We'll come together and we will say, God, what are you doing today? And we will do whatever he's doing. And if it's weird and wacky, then we'll be weird and wacky. If he tells us to stand on one foot with a piece of paper in our left hand, then we'll stand on one foot with a piece of paper in our left hand and we'll do it till he tells us to stop doing it. Because you know what I've discovered is God does weird and wacky. God does the unexplainable. You know, people are going to start turning up from heaven. They already are. And some of the church goes, you can't do that. But Jesus did it. He goes up a mountain and Elijah and Moses rock up. You can't talk to people who are dead. Jesus did. Doesn't that mess with theology? You know, we, we talk about communion and we say, oh, well, you know, you know, transubstantiation and, and all these big words we use and all this stuff and saying oh, it doesn't become the flesh and blood. You know what Jesus said? He said, eat my flesh and drink my blood. Yeah. <laughs> and we've theologized it away. That's what he told us to do at communion. And we've criticized the Catholics. Oh, they say it actually turns into his flesh and his blood. Well, hey, I'm not arguing with that right now because I'm not sure. Because Jesus said, eat my flesh and drink my blood. I don't know if they've got it completely right. Maybe the Protestants have got it completely right. Or maybe we're just all wrong. Like I said to you, my theology is on the back lawn. And I'm still working out what I need to take back. And there's going to be times when we sit here And I'm not going to get up and preach. Dad's not going to get up and preach. We're just going to sit here and God is going to speak to us individually. Because you see, I'm no longer content to be the guy leading and everybody following. And when you get sick, you come and ask us to pray for you. And when you have a need, you come and ask us to pray for you. I want you, each one, to learn how to go to God and say, God, I have this need. And out of your relationship with him, he will teach you how to prosper. He will teach you how to overcome what is in front of you so that you do not need me to teach you. You know because God showed you. It's not about titles and positions. We've done away with those and we're not bringing them back. You know what? We're going to make mistakes. But that's okay. We'll make mistakes. We'll sort them out later. You know what I've discovered? The disciples made mistakes. But Jesus still loved them. The early church made mistakes. God still loved them. Abraham made mistakes. David made mistakes. I mean, the guy full on had a guy murdered and stole his wife. I think we're doing okay if we haven't hit that level, yeah? I mean, even when Cain killed Abel, God still loved him. So, we're going to make mistakes. I'm just letting you know it's going to get uncomfortable. And I need you to be where God has put you at this time. And you need to ask yourself is this where God has put you? Because it's going to be bumpy occasionally, it's going to be weird, it's going to be uncomfortable. But it's going to be like walking on water. For all eternity, Peter can say, I was the guy. (laughs) When I get to heaven, I want to say, I was the guy. I did what Jesus asked me to do. You need to ask, where has Jesus put you for this time? Where has Jesus put you for this time? Because from here on in, when we come together, we're going to step into heaven. And there is really no room for you to say, I don't want to do that. Because we need to learn to do this together. Because we need to govern corporately as a body. We are Jesus' body, and we require everybody to do this together. Because we've got to take that authority. Yes, it's scary. Yes, it's uncomfortable. Yes, sometimes you think, what does that mean? I've only worked it out in the last two weeks what it means. And I've been talking about it for two years. Well, actually, I know a little bit of what it means, maybe. But it's where we're going. You'll get whacked. You'll get off your face drunk. You know... Let me tell you a brief story just in finishing. Am I right today? Yeah. When we were at conference, um, Nancy Cohen was telling a story of quite a while ago. She was a real estate agent and um, she was closing a deal and it was late in the night because she was dealing with China and she's based in Texas and they're dealing with China and time differences and things like this. And so it was sort of around midnight, I think, or something like this, very late in the evening that she finished this deal and she was walking out of the place she did this deal back to her car. And as she did, she had to walk past this satanic nightclub. And she's on the other side of the road and, and these guys are out the front and they're, they're you know, leering at her and making comments about her and going on and being just crude. And, and, and understand how these guys are dressed. Um, they're, they do human sacrifice. Part of being a part of the, the, the club, the whole organisation, is that you had to eat human organs drink human blood and they had piercings all over their body which were like they did human, bo- human bones for them and they were in very interesting places which they were quite happy to share with the world so really not very pleasant and she's walking past and they're making comments across the road and you know, yelling at her and so on and, and she keeps walking and God spoke to her and said I want you to go into that place she went no no keep walking And she got to her car, and all the way there, Jesus was saying to her, I need you to go back there. I need you to go back there. Go back there. So she gets to her car, and finally she's okay. And so she walks back, and she's standing across the road, and they're making their comments, and so on, and she stands there, and she's thinking, maybe God's just testing me to see if I'll be obedient, and now I'm here across the road. And He's going, no, go in she's thinking, it's like 1 o'clock in the morning. My husband, doesn't. no one knows where I am. There's no cell phones. This is, I think, in the 80s, wasn't it? There's no cell phones. There's no, you know, no one knows where she is. She thinks, well, if I'm going to die, I'm going to die. And so she walks across the road. And as she walks along the footpath, these guys walk up behind her and they're running their hands over her back and licking her ear and things like this. And so she walks through this door into this nightclub, not full of faith, full of, okay, God, what the heck? I'm here to die, sort of thing. <laughs> she gets in, and like on the tables is, is cups of urine with upside-down crosses in them. And the women are essentially you know, pretty well, everyone in the place is wearing pretty well nothing. And as she walks through the door, she says, here's one of those music scenes, you know, the music and the noise just stopped. And everyone turned and looked at her. And she said, it felt like I was there for 20 minutes standing at the the door, but it was probably, you know, only a few seconds. And God told her to go and step up onto the stage. And so she has to walk through the room and steps up on the stage and all the time going, okay, God, where's that one person? You know, at the church age, where's that one person you want me to reach? There we go. go, where's that one person? And she's standing there and God told her to make a sound. Now, she didn't know what that meant at that time. God said, make a sound. She said, which sound? He said, the sound I made at creation. And she's going, I have no idea what you're talking about, God. But they'll teach that over the next few weeks, I'm sure. So she stood there and just didn't know what to do. And after a few minutes, she thought, this is, this is ridiculous. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what to do. And, and she left. And she felt like an absolute failure, like she'd missed what God wanted to do. She didn't understand what God was saying to her. She, no one got saved. No one got touched. She I just walked out and that was it. She was so embarrassed by it, she didn't even tell her husband that she'd been there. No one knew that she'd been to this place. About two years later, she is speaking at a conference and said, she got given this beautiful $3,000 white suit. She was, you know, one of those ones, first time she'd worn it, She's like, you know, very proud of her suit. And she's praying for these women and sees this lady on the back and, and feels the Holy Spirit saying, go and pray for this lady. So she goes down the back with this lady. This lady bursts into tears and hugs her and there's mascara and lipstick all over her. Nice $3,000 suit, you know. This is the 80s, a $3,000 suit. It's a really big deal. And, um... This lady says, oh, you, you know, oh, you don't remember me. And she says, look, I speak all over the place. I see a lot of people. I'm sorry. I, I, she says, no, you don't understand. Two years ago, you walked into so-and-so nightclub. Now, she had her attention because she'd told no one. Remember, nobody knew she'd been there. She says, you walked in. She says, that day, this lady says, I was the high priestess for what was going on in that place. She said, and when you walked up the front... You disappeared and there was just this bright, shining light where you stood. And she said, I went blind. And so I got my friends to take me back home and through that I came to know Jesus. And she said, since that time, I've been able to lead pretty well everybody who was in that club to Jesus. Jesus. Because of what you did. So thank you. Thank you. And so Nancy went home in tears and, you know, for what she thought was the biggest failure of her life. And she said, God, I don't understand. And God said to her, you know, John said, you must, I must increase so that Jesus increases. I must, Jesus, I must decrease, sorry, so that Jesus increases. God said to her, that's the the age of the church. He says, in the age of my kingdom, you must disappear so that I can appear. That's what God wants to do. That people don't see us, we disappear and they see Jesus. You know, we talked about the hubs that we're doing. It's not about us coming here on a Sunday and having church together. We talked about establishing hubs. You see, as we meet together and you learn how to step into heaven for yourself, as you learn how to engage heaven, how to approach the throne, how to be filled so full of the Holy Spirit it overtakes you, what's going to happen is you're going to disappear and jesus is going to start appear and he's going to start talking to you about how you can make a difference and you're going to get a heart for a person or a heart for an area and because of your stepping into the heavenlies you're going to step out into that area you're going to take governance over and authority and you will share your story with people and they'll be drawn to you and it's not going to be hard like evangelism is You're going to do it simply because you're on fire. I've seen this. When we were in Kalgoorlie, we had a bunch of young people, and on Friday night, these 13-year-old girls used to rock into our house, and I dreaded it. Give me guys any day I can handle it. 13-year-old girls, I'm sorry. That's an age where they're to be avoided. Bless them. And they'd come in, and there'd be, what, eight or nine of them? And they'd come in, in and they'd and and excuse the terminology, but I can't think of a better one. They were bitchy. It was cats. And they went at each other and it was like, oh, we'd have this. I used to look forward to Saturday nights where we had the older guys. Only because I understood guys. And they'd come in and for the first few weeks it was like, oh. And so we did the Alpha course with them, which we never ever finished because God did something. You see, He gave us a taste of what's happening here because they'd come in and we started talking about the Holy Spirit and we took them away for this weekend and they got filled with the Holy Spirit and they started to engage heaven and they went from being these horrible, nasty girls to being people on fire and passionate within a period of about seven, eight weeks. They were so full of Holy Spirit that these girls who would not dare invite anybody to youth because it's too embarrassing... That's the worst thing you can do. Like me turning up is even pushing the limit, was how they saw it. To suddenly, they were going into school. They were finding the people who would bully them and they would bring them to church because they needed Jesus and they didn't care. They had girls who would argue with them. One girl, they brought, she would argue with them and say, there is no God because my mom told me there is no God and so there is no God. And she would fall and have his argument. She'd say, I'm an atheist. So they bought her. And this girl comes in, and we lay hands on her. Paragod hits her, and she hits the floor. And she gets up and goes, I figure if you stand there long enough, you're going to fall over. I thought, yeah, that's where everyone falls over when they walk down the street. But this is what they became. And it wasn't through anything we taught, it wasn't through anything we did, it was through them engaging heaven. We hadn't baptized any young people for two years. In the first 2 months we baptized 11 first time totally unchurched believers. That's what God wants to do. And it's not through work. It's not through your effort. It's not through your planning. It's through you engaging heaven and discovering who you are in God because that's what happens when you get up there and suddenly everything else doesn't matter. All that stuff for all your life you've been holding on to and be going, this is me, this is me. You suddenly realise it's not you and it's not important. Because you realise who is important, not what, Who. And you realize who you are, and you can't help but share who Jesus is. It takes the scary out because you don't care what anybody else thinks. That's what God wants to do. But you've got to pay the price. You have to let go of self, you have to step into the scary. You have to let go of your theology, your belief system, your doctrine, and say, What do you want, God? And for some of you, that's not a big deal. For other of you, you're going, You've got to be kidding me. Because you know what I've discovered? God's bigger than my doctrine, He's bigger than my theology. I'm going to leave it there. But I want to say to you in pasting, look, if you feel like it's too much, it's okay. It's okay. Find yourself a good church where you can make a difference in God. But if you choose to stay, that's where we're going and that's who you'll become. Are we okay with that? Let's pray. Father, we come before your throne now. Lord, I bless every person here in the name of Jesus. I bless them with your goodness, with your favor. Lord, whatever needs are here, Lord, I bless that upon them in Jesus' name. We pray in all things you be glorified. You be magnified. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.